Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest in our series of Empire Podcast Spoiler Specials. This one is dedicated to Paul Figg's remake of... Ghostbusters and over the next hour or so I'll be talking about the year's most inadvertently controversial movie with three people who ain't afraid of talking about no ghosts there is Nick Desemlian charge the lines create the vortex break the barriers no I, I will do no such thing disgraceful and that's pretty actually you know that's it I think it should just be me and you because um, women on a podcast that just doesn't work I think we've, we've, we've proved that hashtag no women in the podcast. Uh, no, wait. We're going to have... Helen O'Hara. How are you? Hello. I'm here on behalf of the city, county and state of New York. <laughs> and Emma Thrower. How are you? I am good. How are you? I'm not too bad. Good. I'm very, very good. Excellent. Uh, good to have you all here. First, of course, we're going to hear from the man behind it all, uh, Paul Figg, who over the last few years has cultivated a reputation as one of Hollywood's finest comedy directors with Bridesmaids, The Heat and Spy. Um he came with the pulpit recently to talk about the movie Ghostbusters in great detail with Nick and Phil Dissimlian. And word to the wise, as ever, this is a spoiler special. So if you haven't seen Ghostbusters, the 2016 version, of course, the 1984 version is completely up to you. Uh, you don't want to spoil it or ruin it, then stop listening, see the movie and come back here. For the rest of you, enjoy the Paul Vig interview. We are overjoyed to be joined on the Empire Spoiler Podcast for Ghostbusters by its director, Paul Feig. Welcome, sir. Thank you so You're much. You're looking resplendent as, as always oh, today. Oh, go on, go on. Come on. Thank you. Um, oof, let's get straight into it. This, you've been on the Empire Podcast before, yes. but you've not done a spoiler one. So this one, we're going to be getting into the going to be pulling the spectral entrance oh, out. Okay. How, does that, how does this work? So does well, it, when does this go out after the movie? It's going to go out after the movie. We're going to make sure everyone's seen it. We'll be having all of the appropriate spoiler warnings. Um, oh. So none of this will be spoiling the film for them. It'll be it'll be enhancing the experience. This is terrifying. Uh, I've, I've hung on to stuff for so long. Well, let it all... Think of it as therapy. Just let wow. it all hang out. Okay. Can, can we start with a really big question? Yes. Um, whose idea was Michael Hatt? <laughs> my cat, the dog. I will tell you, that was actually, that came from the mind of the genius Chris Hemsworth. Uh, we, yeah, I mean, it, it, Chris is unbelievable because he, you know, I, I've been told by my agent who represents him too, that when we were putting this together, he said, you know, Chris said he'd love to do some little thing in, in Ghostbusters. And that was right when we had this role. It was like, who are we going to put in that? Are we going to a comedian or something? It's like, oh my God, Chris would be the greatest mm. ever for to be their uh, receptionist. Uh, so hired him on and I'd had lunch with him and he was the most lovely guy in the world. And I mean, so nice. And, 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 and a funny, charming guy. And so immediately said, like, if you do this, I want you to play this Australian. I want you to do this so you can be yourself. So the night, he shows up and the night before we're going to shoot, he comes to my room kind of nervous. He's like, I don't know. He said, they're all so funny, and I'm not—I'm not an improviser. I don't know how to do this, you know. And I said, like, "Chris, don't worry. We're gonna have tons of jokes written for you. Katie and I are there. The girls are great. You'll have a great time." So he gets on set, and the first thing we shoot is just when he comes into the room. But then the very first thing after that we shoot is the in- interview scene, and he just suddenly starts improvising and playing off of them. And that was the one where he, you know, we did this thing. I think. The joke we kind of came up with, like, oh, so, you know, you want to bring your cat to work. And so he kept doing that thing about my cat, my cat. And then finally she goes, well, I can't, I'm allergic to, you know, uh, cats. And he says, no, he's not a cat, he's a dog. And you're like, what? And I'm kind of like, where's he going with this? And first I thought, oh, that's some lame joke. And then, you know, his, his name is my cat. And I was like, okay, well, that's funny, but it's still kind of weird. And then he goes, no, Mike Hat. And I was like... Wait, what? And then they started laughing, and then I was like, okay, we got to make this clearer. So I said, okay, Christian, you should say, 
first name Michael, last name Ha, you know, you know, or first name Mike, last name. Ha. And then he ran with it, and it was just like, oh my god! And they were looking at me like, did you write that? It's like Chris came up with it. He's uh, he's really, I mean. To me, he's the new Cary Grant. I, I think, you know, he's handsome and he's funny and he's a great actor and he's charming. And we all wish we were Chris Hemsworth. That bit killed us. Um, also, <laughs> the line about the hide and seek. He's off to a hide and seek tournament, which. And that was scripted. But then he really ran with it. There's. Oh, we, 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 it's so funny. It's like you can't put everything in the movie because it, we, you go down such a rabbit hole with these jokes. And he had a whole thing about there was somebody that. He knew. Oh, it was Holtzman's. Like you, you play H and S. I do too. And then she's like, "Have you seen? They found Shamara." And he's like, "No. Oh, yeah, they found her. She's dead." Or something. <laughs> when this whole thing that she had hidden a dumpster and people forgot about her and then she died. And you remember the jokes that don't go in, you know? There's, there's so much though. <laughs> the glasses, especially the yeah. way that you introduce it. He just, you know. Yeah. And, you know that, and I'll tell you, that was an organic thing too because when we shot that first scene, we were having all these reflection issues with his glasses. And I said, you know what, just take the glass out. So then we started doing it. He reached through and then it became this whole bit that we started playing with. So uh, that's I, I, comedy's best when it kind of grows organically. You, you give the context for it and the mm. setting and then you just let it fly. Just to go right back to the beginning, was it always New York? Did you have conversations about sending it somewhere else? Well, you know, it was always going to be New York because uh, it just that's such a character, and he kind of like I, I would feel bad taking out of New York. But when we were, but we couldn't shoot in New York because we couldn't get the tax break we needed, and so we went back to Boston where I shot the Heat. And when we were prepping, I was kind of going like, maybe I should set it in Boston because I hate kind of making one city look like another one. And came close to doing it, but there's like. Again, it, it's such a New York story that I couldn't do it. We, we shot one day in New York in front of the firehouse, and it was a nightmare. Uh, New York, shooting like a high-profile thing in New York is tough because they the paparazzi in New York are so aggressive, and they have this kind of thing with the police where— it's considered, you know, like a, a, you know, a constitutional right to be able to be there. But they literally, there's, and there's guys, they are the paparazzi and they're the, these, I can't stand them. They're these guys that are really, they're almost kind of like homeless guys and, and they're dirty and they stink and they got this beat up camera equipment, but they will come into the center of where you're shooting and just like literally stand there with all the crew, like in front of the actors, just taking their pictures. And you have to go like, can you, you know, can you please get out of the way so we can shoot? But, uh, and if you try to throw them off the set, they scream and yell, so... So I'm glad we shot in Boston. <laughs> this is the moral to that story. Very, very long story. Uh, if there's a sequel, maybe you should shoot it in the west country of England, where there's yeah, very yeah. few. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I have to say, some of our my the the biggest haters I've encountered are from the 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 outskirts of London. It's what? it's I don't know why they're very very passionate. Really? Yeah. From the burps. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like honestly, if you, if you tallied up who are the most. <laughs> You know, <laughs> angry haters. They seem to come from outside of London. Wow. Whilst we're on the subject, there are a couple... I mean, you referenced this in the movie. I mean, we're not here to get into the, the stuff that you've talked about a lot. talk about everyone. But, but, but um, there's a couple of lines that reference the, the hate quite, quite directly. I think one of them might actually be a quote from someone who's posting. There's a line that someone says... Uh, ain't no bitches gonna hunt no ghosts. Yes, I don't know if that's Paddy's line or who's. No, it was, it's Kristen's. Kristen's uh, line. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's another one where you shouldn't read what crazy people like <laughs> in the middle of the night online. <laughs> um, where did that come from? Was that in the script or is that something that you guys? No, that was a uh, that was just kind of came in the moment because uh, we had just a bunch of alt jokes we were doing for what was going to show when Kristen goes over to that monitor, you know, and reads that thing, and uh, that was just one of the ones that we wrote, and and because I had had a thing. That when they first pull up in front of the rock concert, there was a thing we wrote where they come out and then this 
like two angry nerds kind of come by and go like, what are you guys supposed to be? And, and then they're like, yeah, this look like vacuum cleaners. Why don't you go clean the house or something? Girls can't catch ghosts. And then they walk away and then one of them just zaps him in the ass and sets his <laughs> ass on fire. And we were going to do that. And I was like, is that too harsh on the other people? So then when we were doing that scene and we, that line came up, it's like, you know what? That's it. That's all we need is that one ain't no bitch is going to hunt no ghosts. We blow through it. And yeah. then, then the thing with Abby just kind of came from uh, playing yeah. around. I imagine but, quite a lot of the guys who leave those kind of comments look like Rowan. Yeah. I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Only when he grows big. <laughs> yeah. Can you talk about Rowan then as a, as a, as a villain? Because you've kept yeah. him very kind of under the radar throughout the... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wanted this movie to be as science-based as I could. I, I didn't want like a... I didn't want to do kind of the gods are angry and they send down their minions or whatever. I I, I needed to kind of reconcile because I'm not a believer in the paranormal, so I needed to kind of reconcile like a science reason. And so I just like the idea that Rowan's almost like a homegrown terrorist, you know, like these loner terrorists who, but he, instead of, you know, using a bomb or something terrible, he's figured out he's going to bring back his own army of the undead by energizing them with this, you know, kind of nuclear science that, he, that he's playing with that is similar from from our, you know, the Ghostbusters and because he's read their book. Um, but I, I just like the idea of God's angry man sort of walking around, the guy who walks among us who actually can pull something off. It's much scarier mm. to me than sort of, you know, the gods have opened the heavens. It's funny. I did. I did think about Taxi Driver more than once when I was yeah. watching it. I yeah. don't know if that's no, totally. I mean, he's totally kind of a our Travis Bickle type guy who was just bullied, and um, you know, we 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 had a lot of other kind of backstory for him, and it just like I to me, it's just like no. You hear, here's a guy who's just you know been knocked around, who's just gonna he's super smart, and he's gonna take it out in the world. Do you have a name for the Ghostbusters logo, Ghost? No, to us it's Rowan, but. You know, Dan Aykroyd and, and, and Ivan were saying they said, "Oh, that's Mo- Moogly. That's that's the official name of the ghost in the logo." Really? According to them, they're like, "You got to call Moogly." I'm like, "Guys, nobody knows that other than you." <laughs> how, how do you spell Moogly? Did they? Uh, I think it's M O G L I E, maybe with two O's. Not a Jungle Book a crossover then. No, no, that's Moogly. <laughs> this is Moogly. <laughs> Different proposition. Huge difference. Come on. I'm curious because the, the design of that ghost is really is really cool and how he's cute and becomes. Scary. Yeah. Um, how did, I'm just curious about, you know, that obviously has been released. There's a toy in Forbidden Planet yeah. next to our office. Yeah. Did you want to keep that secret? I wanted to keep everything secret. I mean, this is yeah. my, my old man lament about <laughs> the internet and stuff. It like, you know, when I saw the original Ghostbusters, I saw one trailer for it and I just knew, oh, those guys I love are in it and they're my heroes. Let's go see this. So everything was a surprise. And today, I think everything would, you'd be teased everything. You would have seen a picture of, you know, Stay Puffed and all that. And it's, no, the, you know, I love surprising people with stuff, and everything in that movie was meant to be surprised. So when we did all our test screenings, people were just having this pure experience of like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And you got this giant applause, and, you know, and they gasp and they laugh. And it's just it's just this slow whittling down of, of all the surprises, you know, and as they put the trailers together, it's like, well, the foreign territories need to see Stay Puft. And they're, they're just like, oh, God, really? Can't we just not bury all this stuff? So, yeah. so yeah, and then, yeah, and then the toys come out, and the toys are just spoilers. <laughs> so you hit a point, you go like, fuck it, let's just, like, put the whole there thing was, online. There, was, there were still some things, uh, some surprises in the yeah, movie. I've you held some Simon back. has a girlfriend, which I don't think is, uh, is been right. put out there. No. Does she have a name? Uh, we, we call her Lady Slime. <laughs> Lady Slime. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, she's kind of based on, uh, Remember when the Tasmanian devil, like, he had oh, yeah. yes. met his wife? Yes. Like, I was like, yeah, make it look like Slimer just with a wig on and, and lipstick. So I, it's really stupid, but it I, I makes me laugh. I hope those guys work it out. 
I, I, you know what? I think they're uh, they're going to have a great relationship together. <laughs> um, t- talking about the character, the ghost who isn't quite moogly mm-hmm. in giant size, is the idea that he has uh, testicles, not to put too fine a point on it? Because, well, you know, everyone's got, yeah. got an area between their legs that is probably sensitive. Spot. Exactly, you know? Gotcha. Uh, yeah, it just, it, uh, it's a cheap joke, but I'm the king of cheap jokes. I don't care. <laughs> I, I, I think straight away that the tone of the opening sequence is spot on, and I, I wondered how, because the first film's obviously famous for having the public library scene, yeah. which was kind of terrifying. Um, how did you sort of set about creating this opening, and, and what was important for you to when you came out of that scene for for the for the kind of audience to get well you want to set the real stakes i mean that was that was katie dippled she was really hot on the idea of like having it be a tour guide giving like a tour of this this kind of haunted mansion and so we kind of played with it from there um you, you, you want to set real stakes in a movie and you know the temptation with a comedy is to Make the villain kind of funny, and and you know make the state you know the danger kind of funny. It's like no, if you got if you don't have a real threat, then what's the point? And you know, and so I always loved in the original one that it was spooky, and when this thing showed up, it you know scared the crap out of the the librarian, didn't kill her or anything. We have it's so funny, like some of our test audiences when they see you know this tour guide when they go back to the mansion and he's there, they're, they're all like, I thought he was dead. And it's like, no, it's a ghost. You're not going to get yeah. killed by a ghost in our movie. But uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to set that that mood and for the audience to go, we're coming into comedy, so there's some jokes up front. And then, oh God, this is scary and there's a threat. Can you explain um, how an anti-Irish fence works? That sounds like something <laughs> Donald Trump might come up with. I know. Well, it, that's pure Zach Woods. I mean, he is a, such a genius. He's such a brilliant improviser. And so every take, he was coming up with different things. And that just made us laugh because it's it's so, you know, back in those days, like everything was, you know, so much so much prejudice and weird thing against Italians and Irish Americans in our country. So it just kind of felt like a good play on if we're at this old mansion with this old... It's a very funny little aside. Um, I really like the look of the ghost in the movie and I talked to you before about how you pulled it off and you had real actors there on the set and I think it's really effective yeah Um, yeah it's good for the actors to have them there yeah can you talk about Gertrude in particular and um, is she based on anyone obviously she's played by a real actress but no it was uh, we just liked the idea of sort of this you know spooky history of this you know almost like Lizzie Borden type character who'd killed people and then the family locked her down. You know, that, that's that's a real Katie Dipple loves that kind of ooky spooky stuff like that. And it just felt like a cool I like the we really like the idea that that there's the ghosts that would be powerful enough to kind of work their way back or would stick around to be re energized are ones that are carrying enormous hatred. And, and, and you know, you know, evil uh, with them, and so yeah, so it was kind of fun. Originally, it was written to be sort of this ugly old woman, and then I worked with Bess Rouse. Uh, she was one of the stars of my show, Other Space, that I did for Yahoo. That's been geo blocked here, which I'm trying desperately to get you guys because it's I love it, it's, and she's so f- great. Uh, and I was like, she's perfect because she she can do that almost Kubrickian thing where beautiful face, but the minute she like tips her head down, like the, the face mm. becomes evil and the eyes get evil and stuff like that. And so I was like, oh, it has to be best. And so yeah, we rigged her up in, in that full costume and makeup and hair and everything. And then we put these the EXO LED light suit on her that then are for light interaction with the actors with the set because Pete uh, Travers, our, our VFX uh, supervisor. He was really, you know, 
even with like if you watch the original Ghostbusters when they fire the proton packs, the proton beam comes out, but there's no real light interaction on them. And we're saying like that's something you can't recreate. That's something that gives you realism if you have actual light kind of playing with people. And so, uh, so then we just went in and kind of augmented with CG after that. Yeah, it's great. It reminded yeah. me a little bit about the ghost from the end of Raiders. Who, you know, <laughs> yeah, that kind of I mean, I don't think that's that. I always like reference that in Poltergeist is like this. Is what I want that. I love the way those things looked, and they kind of moved in this odd way. Yeah. You got a lot of ghosts in this film. You got ghost rats. You got a yeah. ghost polar bear, which we never get to see, which is yes. a real shame. <laughs> no, he was in the original script. There was he was going to float by. Is that a global ghost global warming issue? <laughs> yes, yeah. Like, well, you know, a lot of things happen in the afterlife. Were you ever tempted to have a ghost Bill Murray pop up? You do, you, you do a surprise. There's a surprise right there. Yeah, I, it was. We were actually ta- talked about it, and then um, just thought, I don't know if we would. We actually made it, so you're not quite sure if he got killed or not when he gets thrown out the window. There's I, originally I shot it where you literally you see the chalk chalk outline of him, and his hat is outlined, and his cane is outlined too. Amazing. But it's like, ah, maybe we don't. Maybe we we'll leave the door open that Bill Murray that we actually killed Bill Murray, which he loved. I mean, he that's. You know, when I sent him the script, that's yeah. one of the things that he really loved yeah. about it. I'm going to put you in a whole other direction right now, but the, this is quite a very they're very film literate your characters in this, yes. the Ghostbusters, and uh, they, there's references to Patrick Swayze's oeuvre, and there's a reference to <laughs> Jaws. Yeah. Jaws obviously gets referenced. Right. Um, I think there's a Scarface quote as well. Oh yes, yes. my friend. Y- yep. Um, I I don't want to unpick the threads of the world, but is this a world in which they that Ghostbusters the original movie hasn't been made? I'm assuming. Yes. Right. Yes. But, but they have they seen your films? Because oh. I imagine they probably like. That's interesting. I think I think it's a world where I don't exist either. That's funny. I never thought about that. That's like the Feig cinematic universe. Yeah, it's, it, yeah. I imagine they like bridesmaids a lot, and they might be the sort of thing they might quote to each other. That is true. Like, I, I, that just feels like such a major ego leap to suddenly yeah. be quoting your own work in a movie. <laughs> Drop the mic. Um, yeah. yeah, it is the best joke about the mayor from Jaws, which I've ever seen in a movie. Oh, it's, it's the only one, but that, it's also amazing. That, that joke really makes me laugh, and. Andy Garcia just kills me with the way he delivers that. I, I'm very sad because we actually had uh, had a, a Monty Python and the Holy Grail joke in uh, and cut it out because we had originally when the when the, the the Homeland Security guys show up to Times Square, there's this whole thing with this proton gun that the the, the government has come up with. We made this thing. And this thing is like as big as a tank, and it comes in and all it, when it shoots at the building, it actually powers up the building even more, and then it shoots back and blows oh, wow. the thing up. But we had uh, um, uh, Michael actually when he does the line. He goes, all right, on my count, one, two, five, fire. <laughs> I, I loved it, but uh, we ended up cutting the whole gun Your Monty Python red. Exactly. Red. All yeah. I do is steal other people's jokes. <laughs> dragons, dragons are obviously huge at the moment with Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. um, Schmaug, etc. Um, tell us about your ghost dragon. Yeah, well, he to me, he's more kind of like a demon gargoyle kind of you know otherworldly thing, but he does he does have a dragonish quality to him. It was, you know. I, I, it was so hardcore about like wanting to keep all the ghosts sort of from the real world, but you're like, no, you got to have something that's kind of different. And and I like the idea that as he's energizing things, he's pulling energy from weirder, weirder places and deeper parts of the unknown. And so this one comes up. And, and also just comedically, I just like the idea that at a heavy metal concert that would show up and everybody would think it was yeah. part of the show. Yeah, exactly. I wondered if, you know, doing something comedic in a heavy metal concert, is it difficult to escape this the shadow of Spinal Tap? <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that definitely looms large. I mean, it, it was really a last minute decision to make that... Uh, a rock concert because originally it was I wrote it for to take place at Comic Con, 
because I thought, what a great place that somebody, you know, if something happens, everybody just thinks it's part of the show. You know, just somebody in costume or some cosplay person. Uh, but then we kind of went, I don't know, it, it, Ted 2 had a big sequence at a Comic-Con. It also felt like, I don't want to be like, I don't want people to think I'm saying fuck you to, to you know, the, the geeks of the world, because I am one. I've been going to Comic-Con for over 20 years. Uh, and so we moved on to that, and then we were going to put it in a theater, and then it was going to be during a ballet. <laughs> and then it's just like, you know what, we, it's the middle of the movie. I need a big set piece that has big action, you know, and, and just the idea of a heavy metal concert maybe made me laugh and, and felt like we could get a lot of mileage out of that and so that's why we went that way yeah and you got Ozzy Osbourne in there as well yes you directed Bill Murray and Ozzy Osbourne in the same <laughs> if only I could direct them in the same scene together no, I've directed silly. Ted Nugent <laughs> many years ago <laughs> so uh, I'm specializing in were all those cameos stars? kind of done a bit on the fly and, and were there all those cameos as we seen them in the final film or did you have to adjust? No, no, that, those were all pretty set. Uh, we we definitely had very specific roles that we wanted for the cameos, and we had one for for uh, Rick Moranis, but he he just didn't he wasn't interested in doing it, which it was, it was something we ended up cutting out. And I feel bad because Brian Baumgartner, if you know the American Office, he played Kevin on the American Office. Mm-hmm. He did it. It was it was a fun thing where when they show up in the Mercado lobby and they're facing off with you know Kevin who's possessed by Rowan, he's like, oh, I see, there's five of you now, and they're like, huh? And it camera pans out. Widens out to reveal that this guy's standing there in his pajamas and a robe, <laughs> <laughs> and they just get out of here. So, so uh, that was Brian did, but we wrote that yeah. for Rick. Oh, so Rick would have been a guest in, in yeah. the hotel. Yeah, exactly. Okay, but we got, tried. I mean, you got Sigourney, you got yeah, Dan, yeah you got Ernie. It's a- I almost, I, I was gonna put William Atherton in it too, and then it just we kind of hit a point where like we might go. Might, I feel bad because I love the guy, but uh, too many cameos. You really got to walk the line. About how how many references you do, and the audience will you know will they'll they can judge us on whether they thought we did enough. But mm. the biggest thing about cameos is you got to make sure that they're at places where they're like a fun Easter egg and a little little you know comfort food versus you know you got to you have to when you're doing something like this you got to let the new cast and the new movie kind of live on its own. Mm. It's got to win the audience over, and then the hope is that they'll be so wrapped up in the new thing that they'll kind of forget. That it was based on the other one, and then then you go like, oh, here they are, and and it, it, I feel like we really nailed it just because in all the test screenings, like you know, the first time um, Andy Potts pops up, people are like they go crazy, and then it just kind of goes from there. And the only one I don't know if people, some people catch and some people don't, is the the Herald one. Which uh, no, go on the bust. Which you know, did you do you, you catch no, it? No, I didn't catch that. I didn't oh, you that. didn't? Oh, no. oh my gosh! No, talk us through. Oh yeah, it's when uh, it's right at the beginning when Charles dances in uh, in Kristen's office and he walks out. The, he walks out. And as he walks out outside, there's a bust of Harold Ramis. Oh, I did see that. Sorry, absolutely. I saw the yeah. bust and I made a note. Ask who that is. <laughs> yeah, was, oh no, I should have made. Because well, my editor always felt like he said we're cutting away from it too soon. I said I don't want it to be that thing where then we just sit on it and like look, <laughs> check it out. <laughs> no, it's nice. It's subtle. Yeah. Um, oh, and I'll tell you one other. They're actually Harold has is really well represented in this because in the concert scene out front of the concert when Rowan's walking in past the crowd, uh, the guy that comes up and like gives him the high five that's Harold's son mm. and then wow. when they show up in front of the firehouse for the first time with the realtor standing on the corner next to it there's a woman holding a baby that's Harold's daughter and Harold's oh. grandson that she's holding so uh, wow yeah that's so really it's, nice. it's important to me to get to, you know because Erica Ramis his 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 wife um has been very involved and such a big supporter of, of this whole project and just a lovely lovely woman 
Just one final question uh, about the Bill Murray uh, character. Is he styled after yourself? He's, he's, he's a very dapper gentleman. <laughs> well, I, I wanted him in a suit because we always thought it'd be fun if he was that kind of guy. But when he showed up, he wanted to base the character, his look on Quentin Crisp. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, so he was very, like, that's where the hat came from. The hat wasn't originally in there. And it's just like he, he wanted all that stuff. But I wanted him to have a walking stick because that's one of my, uh, uh, you know, affectations. Okay. Right. That's, I, I couldn't quite pinpoint the look but yeah, yeah. that's exactly right it's Quentin Crisp <laughs> he brought a bit of the Wes Anderson with him to that, <laughs> yeah. that character um, yeah. I, I, the Dan Aykroyd cameo is really fun because it's Dan mm. Aykroyd but it's also riffing on the, the, the spectral cab driver yeah. from the first film mm. which is really fun how did that that idea was that scripted or yeah well I mean it was, it was scripted but actually those lines a lot of those lines we kind of wrote when we got there because originally it was it was uh, a guy pulls up and she's trying to get a ride, and he won't take, and then he drives off, and, and, the, and then a ghost like flies in the cab and throws him out of the cab and then takes off. But uh, So we were, we, we were going to do that with Dan, and then it was like, I don't know, I want Dan to be in control. I mean, he should be the one guy who's unfazed by the whole thing. And and so that's where we kind of came up with you know him just saying yeah. I, I don't I don't drive wackos and I, I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Uh, we we didn't we had funny lines that kind of comebacks for Kristen, but they they always felt like they kind of extended the scene too much. But I always liked that she goes, "That's a double negative. That means you are afraid of ghosts." <laughs> so that'll be in the extended cut, right? Um, uh, Kate McKinnon is, is great as Holtzman, yeah, obviously, yeah. and uh, we particularly enjoyed her blowtorch dance scene <laughs> and the Pringles eating. And I, when I interviewed her, she said she doesn't actually like Pringles. So what, I know. What's the story there? Yeah, I, we just it was uh, we had it scripted that she was just like snacking the whole time because we thought that would be really funny in that thing, and just you know, especially for the joke where in the middle of a very tense thing, somebody just bites into a chip and scares the shit out of you, and. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it just became Pringles because it was just easier to, for her to carry around. We have no deal with Pringles, I will tell you that. Like, it's not, we're not getting any money from Pringles, which, because at first I was like, hey, let's get a deal with Pringles. And they're like, they didn't want anything to do with us. So it's like, I should change it to something else. But, you know, it's a can of, that, that's the only chip that comes in a can that I'm aware of. Uh, yeah, we just thought it was just funny. I don't know, somebody carrying around a can of Pringles makes me laugh. You never snacky on marshmallows. At any point, well, no, I know because those don't make noise, so that's the problem. Point, yes, yeah. exactly. And there's obviously a ton of, of really interesting new tech which you've brought to the film. There's the mm. we don't see the proton shotgun, but I want to see that. <laughs> um, right. But you have the you know the bear trap thing, and you've got the uh, the chipper, ghost chipper. Mm -hmm. Can mm -hmm. you talk about coming up with all that stuff? Did that all come from you? Because you're a bit of a hardware. That yeah, that came from me. Although the, the chipper actually came from our um, our stunt coordinator uh, Walter Garcia, because when he was prevising that big time Times Square fight. He just added this thing, and where Patty has this thing, and it, it was it was funny. It, it was longer, but we had to cut it down, like everything in a movie, uh, where she kind of has that, and then when you cut back to her later, she's literally just hits on the ground, and she's just literally like grabbing ghosts, just <laughs> feeding them through. Um, yeah, the, when I first took on the project, the very first thing that got me excited outside of the cast and the idea was like, oh, I can come up with some new new weaponry because I'm such a nerd for that stuff, and. First thing that popped in my head is the idea of a proton glove. I just mm. like that idea, and so we had fun kind of developing that. But, yeah, I, I just, you know, the, the thing is, you know, now that everybody knows Ghostbusters, it, whereas in, back when it first came out in 84, it was really cool to watch 
guys shoot, you know, a proton gun, but now it's kind of, it loses its charm after a while. You got to kind of get some extra stuff to look at. And I really wanted them to go into this hand-to-hand combat. And that came from when I was just, you know, developing the project, Walter Garcia, my, my stunt coordinator, sent me this pre-visit he does with his stunt team of them fighting hand-to-hand with ghosts. It was like, oh shit, that's what we need. That's, that's you know, I want that level of action in the third act. And uh, so he really kind of ran with it. And then we just had fun kind of coming up with the gags for it. Yeah, You kind of go nuts in the third, third act. I mean, oh yeah. You've got the, there's a bit of a weird sort of time travel thing going on uh-huh. with the idea that Rowan is kind of summoning up things from the past. Yeah, and so that's why the the billboards are for movies from the seventies. Yeah, it's just like you know, it's kind of New York. One of its you know one of its low points, yeah. dangerous points, was New York in the seventies, and the, you know, the, like you say, the the taxi driver era, which we even have the taxi driver uh, poster up there. But uh, yeah, I just like the idea that he's going like I'm going to bring back everything bad, but you know, all the ghosts are from different eras of you know of mean guys. But I, I like that even there's like a, a Bobby Soxer, some <laughs> evil Bobby Soxer ghost that he gets zapped by a Holtzman. The Pilgrim, believe, the Pilgrim uh, Fathers. Yes, I know our Pilgrim. Well, I, you know, uh, some Pilgrims were nice, I'm sure, but uh, a lot of them wiped out the Indians. So it's like, yeah, I think there was. What's the line? Oh my God, I killed a Pilgrim. Yeah, I, I, oh my God, you killed a Pilgrim. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> I think I believe you're the only film coming out this summer that has a ghost prostitute in it because I stayed through the cast list. And I was like, that is a great, that's yeah. a great credit for someone. Well, you know what? We had uh, in that fight, we had a ton of extras that were dressed in amazing period clothes and everything. But what happened was when we were putting it together, we realized we had the situation where as an audience, it was that thing of, you know, when you're watching a Kung Fu movie and there's like a guy surrounded by, you know, a bunch of guys, but only three guys run in at a time. You're like, well, why didn't they all run in and they wipe them out? And so we're going like, oh, you know what? Actually, it does look weird that they're standing there. So that's why we we created more of that smoke where they're just kind of energizing out of the fog, which I, I think is such a cool Cool idea, and that just we kind of that kind of brainstormed that yeah. uh, as we were putting together the VFX. And it's a big, big action sequence. I mean, you've done that great action in Spy before, but this is like a whole other level with yeah. ghosts as well. I mean, was that quite tough to pull off? It was hard. I mean, yeah, but it, again, Walter is so good at that, and and I wanted that sort of kung fu, you know, Chinese Hong Kong cinema kind of action to it with barrel rolls and all that stuff because I just love that stuff, and also I wanted the actors to be fighting real people you know there's nothing worse than having people just acting against tennis balls on green screens and so it just gives it such an energy and gets you get real performances out of it i mean my only only regret is that we couldn't do the longer version of it we just the studio just didn't want to pay i mean it would cost those it was a very expensive scene to do the VFX for, but you know the original fight was about four and a half minutes long. It was also done to um, to ACDC's "Shoot the Thrill," which was that was my favorite version of that scene. It was crazy. But then Teddy Shapiro went in and did that amazing score for it. With that, you know, when Holtzman's running the gauntlet with her proton pistols, yeah. just the fact that he brings back you know, like this heroic version of the Ghostbusters theme. The first when he played that for us, we were just like, <gasps> like I actually got really choked up because like yeah. it's just so kind of cool. Was the the dance sequence that we see over the end credits was that ever uh, at any point in the film itself? Yeah, it was originally when um, when this is the biggest controversy and the biggest like the tough decision for me because when when it was after the, the guys come out with the shotgun and all that, you know, I mean with the um, the big pro proton gun that's on the tank uh rowan comes down and, he, and basically he goes like oh men and women of the security uh, the whatever i forget the line but you know i would like to see you dance and so it's more him like having fun controlling them with his dance number that was to um the bgs you should be dancing <laughs> and it was great i mean and, and honestly like it always tested really well like people loved it but 
it was divisive at the same time, and it it felt. I don't know. It, it was you know the hardest thing in the world to go like we're going to cut out a dance number that Chris Hemsworth like nailed. Mm. It was, but it just it set the tone a little odd. Um, the hardest thing in a comedy is making sure that the thread is real, and so you always want to have like as comedy people you want like a funny villain, and Neil Casey is one of the funniest people on the planet, and he had all these amazing funny riffs he would do. But as we're putting it together, you go like you know what. The minute he's funny, like, the threat goes out of him. And so that was another scene that's kind of like, okay, if he's making him dance goofy, it could be. But it just it just messed up the tone just enough. But So that's why I was like, we got to put this somewhere. So, like, let's use well, it in the end credits. Yeah. yeah, I think it's fun. I, I always want the end credits to be like a party. I, I hate when, you know, you turn on cable and any movie you happen to catch the end of and it's like just white letters over black and you listen to some song. It's like, I don't want to waste a frame of, of screen time. So and we have a great titles company, uh, Plucky, that do. All, all my titles and they'll we'll always kind of brainstorm something to watch and you know because I also want people to stay to the end for that uh, yeah. for Spy had great ones too I, thanks um, Neil Casey I'd love to see him play Peter Laurie in a movie oh my god I know okay. he's he's unbelievable I and mean, he's got that great look uh, and he's just he's an amazing improviser amazing writer he he's, writes for Amy Schumer and her show and just you know and he's he's really a genius We've got to let you go, unfortunately, because it's been so much fun in the not-too-distant future. Um, have to, before we do, ask you about Chris Hemsworth's sax, his sexy sax shots. <laughs> Did you direct those? Were you, were you photo-directing that? What happened there? Or his shirtless uh, yeah. headshot. Uh, yeah, I actually did. It was, we just thought it'd be funny if like, he just had all these shirtless shots, and there, there's so many funny ones, and some are in the end credits, but I'm actually having yeah. to put more in, because we did these one he's like a reporter, and he's like wearing a tie, but with no shirt, and he's holding a, like, wearing a hat. And holding a pad, we just—I don't know. It just Chris is so game to do anything. I remember we set up this sort of little private area, and I go back there, and he just had all, all these props. It's like, okay, you're a detective, do this, you know, and, and grab, and he just went for it. So, uh, yeah, but there's there's a great calendar to be had out of those shots. Yeah, so it's like um, <laughs> I'm sure it would be bored. Yeah, yeah. Peter Serafinovich is uh, Brian Butterfield. I don't know if you've yeah. come across oh, Brian yes. Butterfield. Oh yes, oh no, totally. <laughs> totally. <vibe. laughs> um, I just wanted, in terms of going forward, if there is a sequel for this, would you want to do it? I think so. Yeah, I mean, it was so much fun. I've, I've always kind of steered clear of doing sequels just because I always like to do new stuff. But, you know, this world is so rich and this cast is so great and, and there's so much stuff that can be done that I'd be open to it. You know, it's weird when you're when you're in the middle of something, you're like, oh, never again. Because <laughs> it's, you know, you just there's so much that you're dealing with. And then it's like childbirth. And the minute it's done, you're like, well, that was kind of fun. <laughs> and you forget all the stress and all the, you know, days you're just like, oh, boy, I hope we pull this off. So, yeah, you know, I, 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 I will, I wish... I had come up with the idea for Ghostbusters. <laughs> you know, there's some, it's such a great idea. There's certain, sometimes things you just go like, oh, man, I wish I had thought of that. So I, I wish this was an original idea of mine, which is a weird thing to say. But, you know, especially when people are like, you know, on the Internet, like, oh, there's no original in Hollywood and you just rip stuff off. It's like everything I've done in my career up to this has been original. Mm. But, you know, but rebooting it was kind of a way to kind of make it, make get a little ownership on it. But it's not. It's an amazing idea that Dan and Harold came up with and that Ivan helped develop and, and it's brilliant and that's why I wanted to come on it because it's this amazing idea and this amazing franchise and it's been, you know, 20 plus years since Ghostbusters 2 and it's like that can't just that can't just be the only, you know, realization of this. It, it, it needs to live on and get a new team for a new generation, I thought and, and 
I know people will always be mad that there wasn't a sequel, but, you know, Bill wasn't going to do it and Harold was gone. And I just felt like this is kind of the way to bring it to a new generation. And I hope people will eventually judge it fairly on its own merits. Do you have an arc for, for a sequel, potentially? Yeah, I got, a, I, got, I got a story in mind. Okay. And New York set? Uh, well, possibly. It might go... Go to some other places, too. The Arctic, the polar bear. Yeah, that's exactly right, yeah. <laughs> We're chasing the great polar bear. <laughs> ghost warrors. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. All I know is there's countries that are way more into ghosts than we are, and uh, it would be interesting to kind of I talked to Ivan uh, Reitman a little bit about that, and he was saying there are so many different cultures with different types yeah, of ghosts that it yeah. lends itself to that. Yeah, really, yeah, really. I mean, it's such a it's a, such a broad, wide world of, of stuff. This that, studio is haunted. I just remembered that. With, with I know, I was told ghost, that. Yeah. Yeah. Shall I call the Ghostbusters <laughs> for you? <laughs> Did you bring a proton cannon? Yeah, I brought some sage. I can burn it. <laughs> um, Paul Fig, it's been a real pleasure having you on the Empire Podcast again. Come again next time, please. I, I you guys, I just I, let me say, Empire Magazine has always been so supportive of my movies and, and of comedy in general, and and I really, sincerely can't thank you guys enough. You are really a, a shining beacon in the middle of all this. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you. Very much. We'll stop pointing guns at your head now. <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> thank you, sir. Thanks. Good luck. Okay, so that was Paul Fig, and now it is time for us to talk about this movie, Ghostbusters. First off, general thoughts. Mm. Childhood intact? Yes. Your childhood doesn't get ruined because somebody else makes a movie. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, just like... That's it not a ridiculous. thing. No. I mean, born in 88, so what do I... Oh, my God. Good. Oh, God. You're still in your own? childhood. Still <laughs> so, going strong. Of course I watched it growing up, but you I didn't have... You were minus four when Ghostbusters came out. I was minus four, but I don't have the same connection that you... A couple of you... Have you seen Ghostbusters? <laughs> yes, it's the okay. one with the ghosts, right? And they, and they bust the ghosts. Yes. That, that's the one, yeah. Busting makes them feel the, good? Yeah. Makes me feel pretty good. Yeah. There's yeah. a big marshmallow man at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, the Michelin, uh, the Michelin tires. I would like yeah. to point out, in, in defence of all our rages, I certainly didn't see the original in the cinema. I only saw Ghostbusters too. I was very little when the original came out. Yeah, I saw it in the cinema. <sighs> You're so old. But that's exciting. I'm jealous. I'm very. I remember jealous. thinking to myself, this movie is perfect. I was seven years old. I remember thinking, this movie is perfect, and I hope one day <laughs> they don't remake it and spoil it with women. Uh, What's that about? Uh, such a misogynist. I know. I know. Okay, so obviously, I wonder if how many people hate listening to this podcast. Um, well, to any who are, just get over it, man. Mm. I mean, right, honestly, here is the thing. We have had a lot of movie remakes in the past few years of beloved movies as well as the just okay kind of cult hits. Many of them have been awful. Yep. And none of them have had the level of pre-release vitriol and a grotesque hatred that this film has suffered through and the reason you can tell yourself all you like it's just because you were judging it on its admittedly lacklustre first trailer you can say that over and over again I'm not going to believe you because <laughs> we're I, ready to not believe I you I am ready to not believe you because honestly we have been arguing with, with a lot of these people online over the past week oh yeah after my review went up and they have... You actually argue with them. I block them. Yeah, no, I I argue with them. And do you know what? They all start off saying it's nothing to do with the fact that they're women and then they all reveal that they have issues with women. Now, if you're the one exception to that who hated on this passionately online for months before seeing any of it beyond that trailer, then my apologies to you. But most of you 
are misogynists. I'm sorry, you just are. Anyway, oh, that's she... my blanket statement for the day. <laughs> she went there. I did. Well, we, we, we get it out of the way nice and early so we can talk about, <laughs> so the, talk film. about the film. As a film. Yeah. yeah which is weird because this is, this is one of the most, uh, for me, and I know that some people, you know, don't really want to talk about this run to the film, but the uproar by a group of whiny man babies about the idea that you might remake a movie and have women in the lead roles is is extraordinary to me that we can have this that people can actually have this conversation, have those th- those those thoughts and those viewpoints in this day and age. It's just ridiculous to me and I'm glad that this film is good I'm glad that it came out as yeah. well as it did it's not perfect it has flaws no. yeah. but then you know what hey what Ghostbusters isn't perfect and Ghostbusters <gasps> has flaws as well well now the there you've How ruined people's childhood Chris. as yeah. opposed to Ghostbusters 2 as opposed to Ghostbusters which we all know perfection it is perfection <laughs> um, but yes uh, so I, I actually I was thinking about that I was wondering how many people if Indeed, anyone is listening to this uh, is listening to this because of their hatred for this movie, uh, sight unseen hatred for mm. this movie. Mm-hmm. It must be said. Yeah, right. if you if you've seen it and you have problems with it, that's absolutely fine. I yeah. have no problems with that. Yeah, I, I, I talked to Ivan Reitman in the run up to this film coming out, and he was remembering back in '84 when the original came out. It was by no means received as a masterpiece by everyone. It got a lot of bad no, reviews, yeah. and there were a lot of people who didn't like it. And it's since become kind of revered as this untouchable classic. Yeah. But yeah. It was interesting. Somebody on Twitter today was going, well, why did they use the logo? Why did they use the car? Why didn't they take it further away from Mm -hmm. Ghostbusters? And I'm, I'm like, well, why would you feel under any obligation to do that in a remake of a movie? I mean, I think they've already moved quite a long way in that they haven't had exactly the same character names. I would I would argue that they have a similar energy to the group, but they certainly don't have the same characters, the same character names. Oh God, yeah, the same yeah. exact dynamic. But I mean, there, there was actually a, there was actually a, a poll about uh, logos a while ago. I talked to the designer of the Ghostbusters logo, Michael C. Gross, and um, it came out as one of the most recognizable logos in the world. Why on mm. earth would you mess with that? Yeah. You know, so obviously you're going to have those elements again. That's what makes it a recognisably Ghostbusters movie. It's kind of it's kind of interesting actually that this film shows the origin of the logo, whereas in the, in yeah. the first movie they just they <laughs> just kind of have a logo and it's a wonderful logo and you kind of wonder who's the design genius in this team, who's the person who is who's done this and how how much did it cost? I know you know. I reckon like Venkman secretly. Is a massive mm. graphic designer. Paul Feig, in our interview on this very podcast, reveals the name of that uh, of the logo ghost, which oh. I have forgotten. Because <laughs> <So, laughs> it's okay. Because well, everyone will know he now. says it. Let him say it. Yeah, you've heard it already. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. you, you know what it is. Nick doesn't because uh, he can't remember it. Because <laughs> the interview happened a few weeks ago. Because you saw this film it happened a while ago. Largely, slightly unfinished, I think. Yeah, and then you no, did very the, unfinished. Uh, yeah. it, it was pretty much finished up until uh, where all the ghosts get loose in the third act, and then um, it was one of those. I saw The Martian in the same way, actually where the end of the movie was all green screen and you know pencil drawings of stuff <laughs> yeah. puppets finger puppets but yeah so it was I went to see it again last night and uh, saw the finished version it was it looked good looked good indeed. and you were on set of course as well I was I went to Boston and saw them shooting uh, the Mercado Hotel sequence where they go back for the second time yeah so I saw Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy doing lots of ad-libbing one line of that whole day got into the movie <laughs> wow <laughs> genuinely Pretty much, yeah, because they were just throwing out alts. This is how uh, yeah. Paul Feig works. He's sitting there and he's writing lines down on post-it notes with Katie Dippold, who's the co-screenwriter, yeah. and the actors are just running through lots of different variations of jokes. Yeah. Yeah. I did think, I mean, that, that sense of improv, I think, undoubtedly helped the movie. Some of the very best scenes are improv At the same time, it does lose a little bit of coherence. So yes. one, one of the things that made me laugh was um, Melissa McCarthy 
just going, you think he's attractive? I, I can't see it, like about Thor. Uh, and uh, and that that's, I mean, it's an old joke, but it's it's reliably amusing. Yeah. And then, you know, a few scenes later, she's saying, we have to keep him alive. We'll never get as good looking mm-hmm. a secretary again. So, okay, both are okay lines, but give the second one to someone else because it doesn't make any sense. So there, there were a few things like that that just betrayed that improv. Mm. Yeah, you um, have that, that sequence as well where they get fired from the second university, not by Charles Dance, but by the other the other guy, yeah. the dean of yes. Melissa McCarthy's rubbish university. Yeah. With a kind of Hawaiian theme. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it, he turns firing him into this whole bit of comedic shtick where he's doing the middle finger thing and you just think, the, the joke is done. Now you you don't need to keep banging on. I enjoyed that more the second time. That character grew on me. I didn't like him the first time. And okay. I thought the shoddy dean... The shoddy dude. With his big seashell and his Hawaiian yeah. shirt. Just being an idiot. I enjoyed yeah. it more. So Yeah, no. it, d- it did feel like it went on just maybe a little bit too much, didn't yeah. it? And I had that trouble, I think, with the beginning a bit. It, it felt a bit patchy in regards of... It felt like a whole load of outtakes kind of patched together for me. So it did take a while for me to, to kind of get into it. The very it, beginning, the like flow. the opening sequence? The, no, not the Zach Wood stuff, but the bit with the four of them, just the first third, really, the opening third with them. It took me a while to kind of, to kind of get them, but... um. Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing there's so much stuff on the cutting room floor. So yeah, yeah. it's crazy to think what's left out. I think he said it was the, the original cut was four and a half hours. <laughs> Man alive! Wow, oh, that I would be that would be kind of entertaining. I'd quite like to see that. Yeah, just release, release the assembly cuts. That's uh, that's interesting. And just while we're on the improv and uh, topic, uh, I think it was you who was saying Nick the other day that lots and lots and lots of Kevin's stuff was entirely Chris Hemsworth, and in particular the genius Mike Hat. <laughs> Yeah, well, again, right. Paul talks about this on this on this podcast, but when I interviewed uh, Chris Hemsworth out in Boston, he said he was terrified when he turned up because there was nothing on the page, and he just turned up and was like, what am I doing here? And Paul Feig basically said, you're stupid, and he <laughs> made up loads of it himself. So I imagine there's there's a lot more Mike Hatt backstory, I hope uh, so. Yeah, I have He's to amazing. say, my, my favourite scene in the film is uh, when he first gets his, his job interview. That is one of the scenes of the year for me. It's, oh, yeah. it's just utterly hilarious. And not just when he's at the table, but when he stands up and they go, we're going to talk about you now, so don't listen. And he goes, <laughs> I won't. He puts his fingers in his eyes. <laughs> then he runs, he goes over to the fish tank and he sees the phone and he tries to grab the phone and he bangs his hand, or hand off the glass and then does it again. <laughs> just going, again, it's one of those situations where you have a character in a comedy who's almost too stupid to function yeah. as a human yes. being. He can just about breathe. That's instinct. That's, that's fine. But, but it's so funny. At the same time, he's this kind of enigmatic. He's very well dressed and, and he's, he's a weird character because he's, yeah. he's not a shambolic man. He sort of looks like he's gliding around perfectly easily. Yeah. But everything he says is idiotic. Yeah. Yes, in, I, in a way, he's almost a, a male equivalent of, of Holtzman, who is obviously very smart and a very, very different character in many ways. But Kate McKinnon for me I just adored everything she did in this film which I know well we'll get into it but I, she is a character who is completely self-aware and is mm-hmm. very much like just in on the great big cosmic joke of everything and I and I love that the way you know she just takes everything in her stride and she's got this very very sort of insouciant attitude as mm-hmm. well I, I just I thought she was amazing Absolutely what fantastic. kind of an attitude Chris? In, I, I can't pronounce it insouciant <laughs> no that's right there you go that's good. do you know like what the way you said it. what Thank was you. interesting was <laughs> I've never been in in a screening where I felt women react in that way to a female character before oh, okay. um, including myself she she's amazing and I mean she gets one particular scene at the end when she kind of licks her guns oh and God, she yes. just and I, you I, can I, feel I, I, everyone I, I, just everyone I saw one of my female friends go I think I've just gone up one point on the Kinsey scale <laughs> <laughs> and it's true yeah I think that was general I've 
I couldn't believe it. She was getting the same kind of nervous laughter from a load of women around me in the same way that Chris Hemsworth was, if not more. And it was fascinating because she's not that well known over here. So for her to get that reaction, and she's by far and away for me the best thing about the film. I think she, she. I think it's a divisive character, and it's weird because in the run-up to the film, I was the one saying Kate McKinnon's going to steal this film. Yeah, and I, I love her on Saturday Night Live, and I was watching tons of her skits, um, and I just the character didn't work for me. Okay. So I, I, it's sad because I was hoping she would, but again, I saw it last night, and I thought maybe she, maybe I'll enjoy her performance more. But there were just whole bits where her shtick just didn't wasn't funny to me. Oh, I loved I, her. I thought she was great. Yeah. She's just, she's just. It's a performance that feels to me. Um, you know, she's almost the Egon of the group in the way mm, she's yes. a tech nerd and she gets a lot of exposition. And, and whereas Harold Ramis obviously came at Egon from a very kind of, I'm a, I'm a human computer, I'm deadpan, I'm yeah. going to spit this out as fast as I can. She treats it almost as a challenge. How do I make this, how do I make this exposition interesting to me to deliver so she's all over the place and she talks fast and she's up down uh, but great I mean I watched it you know mm. the, her speech at the end where she uh, displays something close to real emotion is, yes. is really funny and was really, really lovely yeah, that, oh it was well, yeah, yeah. But it, it, Nick has just hasn't gone. He's a wholesome I just, I hater. I feel like I'm not tuned into the right but, frequency. I mean, <laughs> but she does feel like she is very edited throughout. There are little bits where you just get a look. Mm-hmm. They, they cut to her really quickly, and it yeah, it does feel very scatty. And mm. but I, I I don't mind. I like her a lot. It you know I don't think she was particularly cut the best way she could have been. But no, I think she's superb. And I think what's exciting is that there'll be a lot of a lot of young girls who are going to genuinely be super excited about doing science. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, I think that's going to be a good thing, the, right? There is a great... Um, did you? Did any of you guys stay for the end credits? Of course, Right yes. to the end of the end yes. credits? No. For the sting. sit through the credits, Nick. Okay. No, I'm only asking because Chris never, I yeah. did not. I did. Um, uh, to be fair, I had two young children with me um, that are relatives. So yes. that yeah, just grabbed two young kids up the street. So we had to, had to leave. But um, I did enjoy her gag with the walnut crusher. Yes. It's very funny. Uh, I won't explain that. Yes, but that you, was you an can, excellent. You can check it out. Okay, let's talk about the rest of the group as well. Because uh, for me, the two standouts are the two H's, Hemsworth and Holtzman. I thought they were just hilarious. What about the others? What about because I think that Holtzman's the one that you're going to see a lot of Halloween costumes off. Yeah, you're going to yeah. see a lot of cosplay, uh, Comic Con, places like that. What about the other ones? So you have uh, you have uh, Aaron Gilbert, you have Kristen Wiig, and you have Melissa McCarthy as Abby. Abby, and. Did you think that those characters were different enough to function? I, I kind of felt that I really enjoyed the dynamic of the four together. Yeah. I did find myself yearning at times for someone who had Fenkman's cynicism. No, okay. I was I was actually pretty into... I thought it was a really nice dynamic between those two. I would like, you're right, just one more scene maybe with the two of them. Because mm. I think just to build that friendship up a little bit more just because of that final beat with her diving in to save Abby. Yeah, sure. But at the same time, I thought the the dynamic between the two of them was completely believable. You know, these two friends in the same area who have kind of dragged each other forward, cur- encouraged each other along, and then one of them has gone, I can't get any further down this route. I have to do something different. And and the first one feels betrayed. So I think there, that, that whole sort of backstory and dynamic, I, I absolutely bought between them. And I thought they really sold the kind of tentative steps back to friendship really, really nicely. Um, yeah. So yeah, I really like them. Okay. It's much more about, I guess, ultimately their friendship than it is yeah. in the original movie, which is, you know, you, you just assume the, the, the shared history that these guys have together, the three of them. It's not really necessarily about Fankman and Stance's friendship. Whereas at the end, when Aaron dives into the portal to rescue Abby, it was a really emotional moment. I thought it was. It was, I, I really liked that. I, to an extent, I agree. I do feel 
that I would have liked a bit more backstory. I don't feel like I, on that first watch, kind of really felt the emotional stakes of that um, from the beginning. I don't know. It's nice not to have loads and loads of backstory yeah. for a change, but I, I didn't quite buy into it enough for that for that diving moment. How well. long was that rope? Because <laughs> I watched it again last night and she's dive free falling for ages. How long is that rope? What's it attached to? Uh, anyway, yeah, it, was, it, was, it wasn't. A, I think it was a hose pipe, wasn't it? Was it a hose pipe or a, a yeah, piece of cable? Whatever it was, it was extraordinarily cable? lengthy. Mm. But also, the spirit um, world is weird, and therefore, you know, probably <laughs> different laws of physics apply. So yeah. ropes uh-huh. can be longer. Yeah, could have been a ghost or a goat. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, Kim, Kim Neiman, I was talking to earlier this week about this film, and he kind of pointed out the ending is pretty similar to Pacific Rim, to the ending of that movie. Um, yeah. There isn't the dive after someone. There's rather the letting someone go and then diving yourself. But also a bit but, of cloudy yeah. with a chance of meatballs. But, <laughs> well, um, no. Big Hero Six. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't love the climax of this film. I'll be honest. It felt like it got a bit lost in the spectacle. The effects felt a bit generic. What I loved about the original Ghostbusters with the Stay Puft thing is it's such a weird ending to yeah. a film, and it's it's spectacular, but it's also just really weird and offbeat. And this felt to me just a bit conventional. Felt like you could have seen that in any. Any old action film. Yeah, I was I was interested that I, I, at first I was very glad that the you saw the ghosts kind of reset their the physical destruction because I was like, come on, we don't see, need to see another city destroyed in this <laughs> this summer. Like I'm I'm kind of tired of that already, and over many years now. Uh, so I kind of like that they put it back, and you're like, okay, it was just ghosts. It's not so much physical destruction. I'm kind of buying this. But you're right, it might have been good to have it be a bit weirder. Like maybe if if they'd all sort of come back in and Times Square had still been 70s-ified, mm. you know, that would have been pretty cool and pretty weird and pretty... What about, what about if it had just been the cartoon ghost? Because the logo turns... <laughs> Rowan turns into the actual cartoon and I thought, oh, this is weird, this is interesting. I've not seen yeah. this before. Yeah. But then he turns into a big CG blob mm. and rampages around, which is mm. something you, you get all the time, like four, four times every summer. But... um. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't dislike it. I just, it, it felt after the run-up to, to it, just felt a bit conventional. But I did think that the ghosts were really nicely designed for the most part. Yeah. Like, the, especially that, that first lady in the mansion, whose name I have forgotten. Margaret, I think. Okay, she was, that was a gorgeous, gorgeous mm. piece yeah. of ghost engineering. And the sort of, the neon-y stuff that didn't really look good in the trailer. Gertrude. Gertrude, yes. The kind of neon tinge to the ghost that looked terrible in the trailers actually worked really well, I thought, on the big screen. Yeah, I quite like that. They were actually um, real people, yeah, not floating around, but they had <laughs> they had actual actors on set done up as the ghosts, Great. and so they combined that with the CG. And when I interviewed Melissa McCarthy for this, she said it was actually the the actor who played the subway ghost was someone she'd actually worked with before, but she didn't recognise him until oh, no. he was floating around at the tunnel. Uh, amazing! And she suddenly went, "Hang on!" <laughs> so they had a little chat while he was floating around. Oh. Um but I thought they were great. I thought Gertrude was fantastic. She was terrifying. Mm. Yeah, I loved that whole opening. We haven't mm. talked yet about Patty. I know. No, I was literally. I was just gunning to right then. I love her. So I was reading that that role was originally written for McCarthy. That's right. And then they swapped it over, yes. um, which I think is interesting because I think you know, yes, from a sort of public relations perspective, casting your lone black woman as the non-scientist of the group, I think, is is horrendous. But when I saw the character on screen, I actually loved her. I thought she was great. And I also th- I think it's great that she had specialist knowledge that none of the rest had, that, yeah. she, that she made a very valuable contribution to the group, which I think was good. Hmm. And Paul Figg also said to me, you know, because I've interviewed him as well for this movie, um, you know, that that's basically Leslie Jones. 
Mm-hmm. She's, you know, not too far from Patty's personality. And uh, Melissa McCarthy, it may be, oh, I've played that role, kind that kind of yeah. role before for yeah. you a couple of times. And I don't really want to do it. And that's kind of my, my point really about Abby uh, in a way that I thought that maybe there was, I needed more edge, I thought, from that character. Oh, I, no. I, you know, something, just something a little bit more to, you know, to I'm s- hang on to. I'm kind of tired of Melissa McCarthy's, you know, crude characters and not not that she's not good at it obviously not she's crude brilliant. necessarily just something no, no, a little but bit what more... I'm saying is like I actually like it she she's great at playing sweet and good natured and well meaning and I quite like yeah. her, seeing her do that you did get the fart joke <laughs> yeah. there was that though were we fans of the mm. fart joke I don't remember the fart joke the fart joke where uh, it's near the beginning of the movie and uh, yeah. Aaron goes over to visit Abby and oh yes leans yes. down and then yes. uh, what's the line from Holtzman she says something like uh Came from the front. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yes, I did like that. I just, I just thought Melissa McCarthy was much more the straight woman in this in this movie, yeah. and she's so funny and so talented. I would like to have seen her be more, more comedic in this one. But then I guess Dan Aykroyd's straight, uh, straight Pretty guy much, yeah. in Ghostbusters mm-hmm. as well. Maybe she's fulfilling that same that same role. Um, yeah, I've like you. I've seen some people as well wish that the film maybe had been a little more free. Uh, and maybe it's a little bit too slavish to be in a, a remake. I mean, yeah. not not just like incorporating things like the Ecto One and the and the the siren and the hook and ladder, the fire brigade, the, the firehouse where they where they eventually end up, but just little things like it, it does feel sometimes like it, it there's a there's a, a really free film waiting to break out, but it's kind of hemmed in by the structures yeah. by the strictures rather of of Ghostbusters. What what are, what are your thoughts on that? I agree actually, and I think I think this is one where the sequel will be better than the first one just like the original what if the sequel is just a rerun of Ghostbusters 2 (laughs) well well, Um, we we have reason to believe not given the sting exactly Exactly. what is the sting sorry I missed the sting so tell me what the sting is so it's um, it's Patsy isn't it she's on the Mm -hmm. she's on some kind of device listening with headphones and there's some comedic shtick with Holtzman in the background and then she's like shush 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 and they go what she goes I'm getting something I'm getting something do you guys know what Zool is? And they all, they all go, no, I haven't heard of Zool. Mm. And everyone in the audience goes, oh. Yeah. And the guy next to me went, what, Zool? Yeah. And I went, oh. Yeah. Like at the end of uh, Avengers, do you remember the, Who's the end of Avengers? Hellboy. <laughs> um, it doesn't massively excite me, to be honest, that sting. I kind of feel like you know, I don't want the retreading more yeah. of the original film. So it didn't it didn't really have the desired effect on me. They and might not be. They might, again, just be paying fan service like they have been well, throughout no, the film. I'm sure it is probably just fan service, but I thought there was plenty of that. And there was yeah. so much, like Chris was saying, the opening of the movie is it's not a library but you've got another creepy female ghost floating yeah. around you've got them going to a hotel with a snooty well it's a rock concert snooty yeah. manager yeah. but there was just too much of it it was relentless um, okay yeah the, the beats were quite close but I think you know I think it, even if they had Zool in the next one but they made the beats different that might be okay you know why do you need to bring Zool back you can have any supernatural force but Zool can come in any shape or size you like so really we could change it completely yeah I just want to see one not set in New York you could set it anywhere that'd be interesting we've asked Fig about this as well but do you think this needed to be a remake do you think this could have functioned on its own terms as say Ghostbusters 3 set 30 years after the original movie with Bill, Bill Murray Frankman dead Sigourney Weaver, perhaps you know Dana Barrett, in charge of her own Ghostbusters franchise, and she hires these four you know, four women. And now people don't believe in ghosts anymore. You know how quickly things move in the news cycle. You know, even though the world came close to being destroyed a couple of times, people might just go, ah, pff, "It's fine." And you, you know, truthers is always something that's uh, that's something that exists in the real world. You could have had that. Do you think 
do you think it could have worked as a sequel or but I mean they've been trying that for 30 years and it hasn't happened this is true you know so maybe there's a reason that that didn't work and this did well but, but Murray I think was the, the reason because yeah. they, they yeah. wanted him at the centre of it but, but you could absolutely have made it a continuity thing yeah. without I just, Murray I just wonder how free Fig and Dippold were at the beginning of this process and how much I'm not saying the negative the, the hate reaction but how much uh, a sense of fear ultimately led them to make the film hugh more closely to the original yeah uh, in the same way that perhaps happened with the force awakens where we know that there's you know making of an art of books about the force awakens and they were going in a very very different direction for a very long time yeah I just wonder, do you, do you feel that happened maybe a little bit with this movie? I think that's exactly what happened. Um, and it's kind of the Jurassic World model as well, where, the, where they're thinking of a franchise in their minds, but they want to remind, they feel like they have to remind everyone of what people loved about the original before yeah. they go off in some new direction. So I think that's exactly what happened. I don't think he would, would have been free to, you know, set yeah. one in England or whatever. Yeah, I think that's probably true, actually. What about the, uh, what about the, uh, the cameos and the Easter eggs and the nods uh, all the way through the movie? It's a, it's a very... I, I absolutely loved the bust of Harold Ramis. I thought that was a, a that gorgeous was really nice. touch. That's one of the nicest tributes I've ever seen in a film. Mm. Um, I really loved Dan Aykroyd's cameo. Yeah. I saw Ernie Hudson's coming about 16 miles away. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> and okay. uh, and um, Bill Murray's was, I, I think, the only possible disappointment mm. there. But it isn't, it isn't really disappointing because it's still Bill Murray. They're just, you know... Well, wasn't quite as much as I wanted. Interesting factoid. The last word of the movie, if you don't count all the stuff over the credits, is uh, Flapjacks, said by Ernie Hudson, which was the code name for oh, the movie. Yeah. And it's a Paul Feig thing that he used to DJ under the name DJ Flapjack. And there's a big story there. So <laughs> that's amazing. Look out your, for that. What was your DJ name? <laughs> Let's not get into that. Let's not get into that. It's a different podcast. Um, I, I, I really liked a lot of the Easter eggs. And I really liked a lot of the, the callbacks. I really liked the firehouse thing that they can't afford mm. the firehouse. Yeah, yeah. that's the, funny. The, the, you can't, what you did know. she say? She says, uh, says that's 21,000 a month. Burning burn hell. Burn hell. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many great little lines strewn in. Um, yeah, and uh, I mean, there were going to be more. You and that can was hear... Kate Dippold, wasn't it? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry still that. Yes, yes, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. there you go. Yeah. But there were going to be more Rick Moranis. They tried to get oh. him to be in it. Um, yeah, bless him. And uh, so Paul Feig explained in his interview who Rick would have played. But that's a shame. Mm. Um, no, I, yeah, I thought I thought they were all good. I, yeah, I agree with you. Bill Murray's was a slight disappointment. But uh, but yeah, the, the rest of the, the comedic talent that he sort of, uh, you know, assembles around the, the, the core four mm. are really, really good. I mean, Andy Garcia is really funny as the mayor. you got Cecily <laughs> Strong, who's also from uh, SNL. As, she was great. As yeah. I say, yeah, she was very, very good. Uh, I love Sack Woods. He, I think that, so that guy's so guy amazing. So he's from Silicon Valley and he's the yeah. tour guide at the he's beginning. He's the tour guide the at the beginning. And the, probably my favourite joke in the movie that's non-Kevin and Holtzman related comes right at the beginning when they go back, you know, they, they turn up in the cab and they go... Ed Mulgrave oh, yeah. came to see us and he, Ed Mulgrave's been dead for 15 years <laughs> Ed Begley Jr. walks into shot and it's like well who's that well this is, this is son Ed Jr. I'll be honest I'll be, I'll be honest that is my favourite bit in the entire film really yeah, it's I, such a good yeah. between that and the Mike Hatt monologue oh um, that's funny Michael Hatt <laughs> his, his, his real name is Michael Hatt but um, I but like yeah, the Ed Begley Jr. bit is genius. It works on two levels because it's obviously a really funny joke, but also Ed Begley Jr. <laughs> is an Ed Jr. It, yes. it's I know. It blew my mind. 
mind. That felt very Arrested Development to me, actually. That, that, yeah. That yeah. yeah, felt yeah, very yeah. Arrested Development. Yeah. Um, Andy Garcia has that great line about the mayor of Jaws, yeah. the mayor yes. from Jaws as well. Which must be, the, must be the fear of every mayor ever. <laughs> mm. Absolutely. I didn't um, love the first scene with the mayor. I preferred his restaurant scene. Yeah. Um, with the code green joke. Yes. Um, if he's got something stuck between his teeth. But yeah, the, fir- the first scene was really odd. Didn't you think when they all got called into the mayor's office and he was talking about a village where the skin has been turned inside out? And yeah. Did, uh, I didn't yeah. understand what, what was going on in that, that scene. It was didn't so Didn't quite feel like, yeah, it felt like improv gone wrong. Um, a little bit yeah and yeah, we're, we're burning lights so we got to use it so last 20 <laughs> minutes of Saturday Night Live <laughs> yeah. kind of territory <laughs> it felt a little bit like that but otherwise he was good that was obviously a little bit of a nod to uh, the mayor scene in, in the in the first one as well but um, do you think the movie and there's not a lot of antagonism really I mean we have Rowan you guys think Rowan's a good villain I think we needed more of him really to really establish the threat I thought he I was I thought he was um I really liked him in the sense that I hated him, uh, and I thought that he was uh, an absolutely brilliant comeback to to the online critics. Because let's be honest, this is a good he, point. he seemed yeah. exactly like like he was meant as such. Yes. Um, so I, you know, just stick it to the man that way. Honestly, I thought that was great. Uh, a lot of people are upset. I saw this. You know, the people who've uh, been tweeting us over the mm-hmm. last week or so. Uh, one guy went, "How can you like a movie that ends with the four women?" literally shooting a guy in a dick. Well, it's not a guy at that point, it's a ghost, and he doesn't appear to have anything there, so they're just, you know, shooting the crotch of his legs. It's a symbolic dick. It's a symbolic dick, but honestly, I do think this I do think this is an explicitly feminist film, Yeah. but feminism means equality between the sexes, so I just don't have any time for you if you're against that. So, mm. yeah, anyway, actually, that's a different thing. I actually think they could have gone a bit further with the scenes where they read out the comments on the... Uh... That yes. was... That was good. But then again, sure you're, you're giving lot. power, aren't you, to the uh-huh. to people who actually write those comments if you start reading out actual comments and within also, the context of a comedy. Maybe if it was an R, if they'd got a, a slightly higher rating, <laughs> they maybe could have gone a bit freer with that. But, uh... Absolutely. I, I thought Roman was fine. I, I thought the movie could have been scarier. I didn't think it's as scary as the original two movies. And yes, I think Vigo is terrifying, <laughs> but maybe that's just me. I think you got to put um, yourself in there. You know, I still think there's some really effective sequences in the first mm, movie. Yeah. But... Uh, I watched it with my two nephews, nine and six, and when the ghost lady, with the ghost uh, lady in the museum, mm-hmm. first jumped out and, and changed the library, the uh, library. Sorry, the library. The, uh, yeah, the museum. Museum's the new uh, one. Yeah, but that's what he's talking about. The oh, sorry, 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 sorry. When she transformed, he, my little six-year-old nephew. Uh, absolutely, you know, he covered his eyes and started, you know, mm. crying, and then he realised, oh, this is this is going to happen all the time. Oh, I love it now. It's fine. Oh, it's great. <laughs> yeah, you know. and he's totally okay with the rest of it. But I think if you're if you're that age, then it's it's scary. Yeah. There's no hairy arms coming out the side of the the, the chair, and there aren't. Oh my God, that that bit is terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that is, is terrifying. Yeah, I think that I think there were scary moments, but you're right, the the original was um, scarier. But no, I did I did like Rowan. I thought he was uh, effective. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe the ghosts could have been a little better done again in the, the in the Times Square sequence where mm. I thought that scene was a little bit unclear what was yeah. going on when it kind of went back in time and the pilgrims turn up and it, it felt a bit muddled to me what, what they were trying to do there. Okay, see, it's just hit me that it went back in time. I was confused because I was like, oh, pilgrims, cool. And I thought that the signage of different buildings mm. had changed. Well, totally didn't get they that. D- they did. I mean, <laughs> in, the, I mean in Ghostbusters 2, the Titanic comes back. So yes. Yeah, that was great. I guess that's not really going back in time because they're ghosts, so they're in the real thing. But it, it was the signs turning, the posters turning to like taxi driver 
Yeah. That, I did not understand oh, that. I totally didn't realise that's what happened. And I didn't, I mean, I, so it was him trying to roll back the civilization of Times Square, essentially, to a time when it was much less civilised and much more dangerous and a sort of seedy part of town. It wasn't clear really why he would particularly do that. I, get it, mm. I guess it was just, it's the usual sort of internet man, oh, everything is PC, now let's take it back to less PC time. But it was... It was not the most clearly explained or thought no. out sequence. I think I, I think Rowan needed a lot more backstory, and I, I get the sense that there was a lot left on the cutting room floor with mm. him. Uh, there's that scene where he's in the uh, restaurant and he's basically saying what you said at the beginning that that nonsense he comes up with about the barriers, Charge the lines, That's create it. the vortex, break the barrier. Just happens to be my own motto. <laughs> You've got a tattoo in your I, face. I, I mumble that all the time. In the office. Really disconcerting. Uh, and I just get the feeling that the, the waitress comments about him. Mm-hmm. Oh, that guy's in here all the time. He's really yeah. creepy. And you get the sense that there might have been an exchange between them afterwards that got cut. Yeah, I yeah. I kind of wanted to see a bit mm. more of that. I think. Yeah, so. that's what. Just my feeling. Just I felt like feeling. you got it quite quickly. I thought there was almost too much of him. I thought there was that scene where he walks into the rock concert and that went on a bit and I thought it was a little bit unnecessary. I thought it was, I thought it was pretty simple what they were doing with that character. Mm. But. Good Ozzy Osbourne cameo, by the way. Oh, which yeah. they literally cut right before... Like It felt like he said his final syllable and they cut it straight away, almost like they, that's all they had and they couldn't get a proper sentence out of him. It made yeah, me laugh. It's, probably, yeah. it's cut so quickly. It's so funny. Oh, I, I'm sounding like a hater here, aren't I? But I, <laughs> It's 2016. An Ozzy Osbourne cameo. Is, what are we doing? Oh, what are we no doing here, people? That was in there. It's like the Very least bizarre. topical thing I've ever seen. I mean, even with his like comeback like five years ago, that yeah. would have felt a bit dated. But well, now it's I like, thought, what, is he even on TV anymore? I like, thought we were going to get one from the minute that the the trailer came out with the rock concert. You can see in the background it was Ozzy Fest. I was like, that whole uh, the whole yeah. scene felt really dated to me. It felt like something from a Wayne's World movie that was dropped into a new film. It felt really like what, what is this kind of rock concert scene? It I just lo- felt think very, that was like I really like that scene. Like I really enjoyed that scene. A I love I love the scene where you you see them on the uh, stage unleashing the streams. And I thought it was interesting. It was no across the streams yes. nonsense mm, in this one wise. this time around. Um, yes. And I liked all the little montages where you get to see them gradually come to terms with the you know, the, the fact that they have, as they say, an unlicensed nuclear reactor on their backs and on top of the car <laughs> and whatnot. Mm. Um, interesting. There was no Walter Peck, but uh, or equivalent. In I guess Murray movie. was. I thought they were setting Murray up to be mm. Bill Murray to be the new Walter Peck, but it didn't quite happen. Rowan w- Rowan was also a Walter Peck. That man had no dick. <laughs> and they literally shot him. at the literally, end. Yeah. 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 Yes. <laughs> okay, we don't have a lot of time, so we're gonna quickly canvas the panel here uh, for your favourite moment from the film Helen I thought it was quite clever that they brought uh, Stay Puft back but as a balloon because yeah. it was a, an homage without being slavish and I quite enjoyed yeah. that that whole little attack sequence and I thought that was funny and how did they get Melissa McCarthy's nose to do what they was doing in that <laughs> shot <laughs> I meant to ask Paul Feig that and we didn't have time but I was like how did you do that that doesn't look like that would go back into, yeah. glass I don't know Yeah, mm. CG probably like, and obviously I liked all the Kevin stuff as well. Obviously. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I have said some of the things I loved already. Uh, it's just little lines, really. Um, Kevin's line, there's a goat on the loose, <laughs> which I w- really want as a T-shirt. So can someone please make that? Goat busters. Goat busters, yeah. Um, I would say it has to be the McKinnon montage at the end with the gun licking, etc. And teamed with the... Um, You're in love. The, I am a little bit in love. Yeah. Teamed with the new... A uh, theme tune. I said it. What? I really like that in there. I what? hadn't heard it before. No. Yep. No. Yep. No. Yep. No. Oh and yours, goodness. Chris. You go. What's your favourite? I'm just going to say no for the next five minutes. No. no we don't I like have that. five like minutes. That, that, that theme tune is a monstrosity. 
Um, in fact, I'm going to join an internet message board and just to rant about that theme tune. It's subjective. Um, my favourite moment is the Kevin Hiron scene. I think that is that, that I laughed a lot yeah. at that. Yeah. Also, Kevin covering his eyes when there's a loud noise. Oh, yeah. Just it's subtle. It's not even remarked on, but it's beautiful. And the fact he has to run off to a hide and seek tournament because he's got into the <laughs> yes. semis. A hide and seek tournament. Just stop and think about that. He's a hipster, man. He's a beautiful, beautiful hipster. A Kevin spin-off would be interesting. It would be really fun. It's dance um, scene at the end. I'd love to see them back in a sequel. I at the end, when they were standing on the roof. Yes. So, yeah, yes I'd like to see Sigourney Weaver coming back and actually doing a bit of a part, because her character yeah. looked, that was a cool character. Mm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Sigourney Weaver back. Annie Potts as the hotel receptionist back. All of them yeah. back. It could be fun. Could be a lot of fun. Right, that is it. That is it for our Ghostbusters uh, spoiler special. Hope you enjoyed listening to us uh, witter on about it. Uh, Wittertainment, you could even call it. No, Who knows? No, no? no. Has that been taken? As your lawyer. Yes. No. Okay, I should look into that. Um, uh, thank you for joining us once again. The regular podcast is out every Friday. Uh, also, keep your ears peeled for some specials coming your way very, very soon. We have a Star Trek 50th anniversary special which should be up soon, maybe even up before this one, who knows. Uh, we also have a Star Trek Beyond Spoiler special with Justin Lin and Simon Pegg. And again, every Friday, the regular Empire podcast. Until next time, it's goodbye from Nick. Break the barrier. <laughs> it's goodbye from Emma. Booyah. I don't think that's what he says. Uh, <laughs> it's, goodbye. Some boo. it's goodbye from Helen. I don't have another quote. Goodbye. <laughs> I know, I don't have one either. <laughs> Uh, and it's goodbye for me. I'm off to drink coffee and then spit it out because I actually do hate coffee. <laughs> Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. <laughs>